If you're visiting this morning, welcome. I promise you I don't preach for two hours. <laughs> to promise. Um, no, that's an epic word. Thanks, Bjorn. Yeah, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you just open your word up to our eyes? Let us just see as your word would come and speak clearly into our hearts. Father, there is so much power in your word. It's why you've given it to us to help us, to show us how to live, to correct us. We want to submit ourselves to the truth of what is written in your world. In a world with no truth, we find truth in the word of God. And so we look to your word this morning to establish itself as truth that changes the way that we live. We ask this in your wonderful name. Amen. I do have a bit of a husky voice, something, you know, last night there was a little bit of banter. Um, could we, Josh, could you just pull the mic down a little bit for me? I might want to shout again um, in a good way. Yeah, good morning. Um, I'm really excited this morning to share something I feel uh, the Lord lay on my heart. And the title would be this. The title would be, it's not what you do, it's who you do it with. And I feel like... Um, this is just, it's a perspective shift that I think as Christians, we can very easily fall into these two categories. And the one category is we can very quickly fall into do more. Do more. Be a better Christian. Give more. Attend more. Be more. Get involved more. Be, help old people cross the street more. Um, preach the good news more. Be an amazing Christian more. Live a better life. We can so quickly fall into that. And actually, I'd love to show us in the Word of God how actually Jesus is far more concerned with who we do it with because that determines what we do. Is that okay? Cool. So I wanted to start with this, and I want to show you something about the end of the Bible and the beginning of the Bible, and then how it affects us right in the middle. And it's this, I don't know about you, but every time I've heard somebody preach on heaven, it's always weird, and it's always different, and it's always according to their perspective. For some people, heaven is going to be, we're all wearing white robes, walking around singing, holy, holy, holy. For others, and it's normally the musical among us, they're like, oh, heaven's just going to be this incredible time of worship. And I'll be honest with you, my first reaction is like, that could get a little bit boring. Like, I like singing, but, but I don't know if I want to sing forever. Like, and if that's what I'm aiming for at the end of my life, if, if eternity is going to be just this incredible worship session, I love worshiping. But I I love a lot of other stuff too that I don't think is ungodly. And I'm like, so heaven can be this weird picture of like, well, what's it going to be like? And then guys are like, heaven is made of gold. I don't really like gold, if I'm honest. Like, I think it's cool, but, but it doesn't motivate me. It doesn't motivate me to want to live my life and follow Jesus because one day I'm going to live in the city of gold. Like, that's not motivating for me. Or, you know, this eternal chorus of old school choirs. I'm like, I don't even like choir music. And I think heaven has such a different emphasis. And the Bible isn't clear on what it will be like. But it is very clear on who will be there. And the purpose of heaven is who will we, we will be with for the rest of eternity. Not what will we do for the rest of eternity. Amen. Hopefully you sing this with me. 
And so let's start with this. John, he's describing the end times. John 14, verse 1 to 4. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He's trying to encourage his disciples. They're about to go through their biggest trauma. They're about to suffer the biggest tragedy, trauma, most excruciating, gruesome scene of their life. And at the same time, all their hopes and dreams are about to be ripped out from under them. And so Jesus is trying to give them words that that they can cling to. And he says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Earl, as an all-black supporter. (laughs) Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have not told you that I were going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Jesus' great source of encouragement to the disciples is this. You will be with me always. I don't care if we don't surf in heaven. I don't care if there's dogs or not. You know, that's a lot of people's, is my pets going to be there? Is my granny going to be there? Is my great grandpa going to be there? Let me tell you who is there. Jesus is there. The Father is there. God is there in all of his glory. And that's the one that when we look to, that motivates me to live my life differently. In this world, we have sin that separates. We have our side. We have our side of the, and then, There'll be nothing that separates. That's what we're living for. Christians, it's not about doing more stuff. It's about who we do stuff with. Revelation 21, verse 3 to 4. And honestly, I, I, I want to talk about this because for a lot of Christians, we have this kind of approach with what's happening in Israel. There's those that are going, it's the end of the world! And there are those that are going like, oh well, that's going on again. I don't know what that means. They've been fighting for 70 years. And then those that are going like, I think what's happening is, in, is significant, but I don't really know what I should think. Like, I don't really know. And so a lot of us get caught up in like, well, what does this mean? Is this the end times? Is it drawing to a close? And, and honestly, I want to tell you, I want to put security in your heart that if you're a believer and if you love Jesus, do you know what the end time looks like? Fellowship with him for all of eternity. That's worth living for. Revelation 21, verse 3 to 4. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home at the end when it's all wrapped up. Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And so the Bible says at the end, the big kicker, the big crux of the story, the big emphasis is that at the end, we go into eternity with Jesus forever. Thank you, Declan. If you're a Christian, that is the most rewarding statement I could tell you. And I'm sorry that you you should tell your face that because it's pretty exciting. It doesn't mean that in this world you will overcome. It doesn't mean that you're going to have all this glamorous success and you're going to have this ministry and this following and you're going to do incredible stuff. That stuff means nothing. What matters is who you spend eternity with. And the end is so much like the beginning. Do you know that when God created everything, it was good? Do you know that heaven is not going to be so different 
to the beginning. If we read in Genesis 3 verse 8 to 9. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife, this is, this is the picture of what heaven could be like, other than man and his wife. The man, or the wife, <laughs> who heard the Lord walking about in the garden. And so in the evenings, God would come down and he would walk and he would be with them. Literally, they were living in community with God. And so they hid from the Lord among the trees, and the Lord called out to them, where are you? There is this element of, in the beginning, it was perfectly normal and common for God to just, it was just casual, that was normal life. And in the end, it says, when everything is wrapped up, and then man sins, and he falls away, and we have Jesus come, and we have salvation, and, and then at the end, he says, and you will be with me forever. And so you have this picture of, in the beginning, God made it that he would be with us. And at the end it says, I will be forever with you. And so I want to bring clarity on what that means in the middle, this little section that we live in now. What does that mean for the Christian now? What does it mean when, when we pray, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? What does it mean when Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is here? Are the dots, for some of you the dots are connecting. For others you're like, no, I don't get it. Explain. Let's look at Matthew 13, verse 31 to 32. Here's an illustration that Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but it becomes the largest of the garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. Like, huh? That's just Jesus telling us how, bio, how, how fauna and flora, how... Science, how it, how it all works is, okay, great. Thank you, Jesus. A seed grows. That's amazing. Saying, no, no, I want you to understand something. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I'm going to, we'll come back to the scripture. Let's look at Mark 4, verse 26 to 29. And Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he is asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with the sickle, for the harvest time has come. So Jesus gives these two illustrations, and he's talking about this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I want to first tell you what it's not like. What it's not like is this. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, and you plant it in the ground. Somebody gives their life to Jesus. The king starts to reign in their life, and this is what it's not like. So now that a seed's taken root, we need to make sure that as Christians, we get in there and fix all the nonsense, rip out all the weeds, make space for the tree to go, prepare the soil, water it. No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus is saying. We can become so reactive in the way that we follow Jesus that your focus on him can be all the other rubbish in your life and focusing on pulling it out. And I want to emphasize, the rubbish does go. The difference is the seed, the kingdom of heaven, when it takes root in your life, it starts to displace everything else. 
When Jesus comes into your life and you really meet him, I'm not saying you go like this, I want to follow Jesus, and it happens. No, I'm talking about when the seed of the kingdom of heaven comes into your heart and it starts to grow, all of a sudden there's no space for the rubbish. Things that you can want to spend all your time uprooting. Oh, you need to fix this. You need to fix that. You're a Christian now. You mustn't do this. You mustn't do that. Can I tell you what? I've watched when people genuinely get saved. You don't have to tell them what to rip out the garden. The tree displaces all of that stuff. It kills it. It's got nowhere else to grow. And so you don't have to tell people, don't live together, don't sleep together, don't sin, don't, don't do this, don't do that. The Bible says you mustn't ba 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 No, because the Holy Spirit is inside of us and He convicts us and that tree begins to grow and it displaces stuff. And a lot of the time we need help. We need the Holy Spirit's help. We struggle with things. But overall, you can see when the seed has taken root because it starts to displace everything. Or like the second parable. Actually, your relationship with Jesus grows and even sometimes we don't understand it. And do you know what that's called? That's called sanctification. It's a process where God, by His Spirit inside of us, the Holy Spirit actually sanctifies us. He actually comes and removes the stuff. from, And it's a supernatural work that God does in us. You lose desire. If you don't lose desire for sin, there is problems. For a believer to sin, that is not uncommon. For, to believe, for a believer to sin and not acknowledge it as sin... There is a seed problem there. That's not, what have I done? God, please forgive me. I want to change. I want to follow you. That's, there's a problem there. Because when the seed takes root, you realize that you were designed to be with him. That in the garden, he made us because he wants to be with. He doesn't care about all the other stuff that you think you have to do. He wants you he wants relationship with you. He wants to know you. That's the parable that Bjorn spoke about. It's the ten virgins, and five of them are ready and waiting, and five of them are just, nah. And at the end, the five that are, nah, knock at the door, and they're too late. The Bible says at the end times, those, they'll come knocking at the door and say, we did all these miracles. We did all the stuff. We did all the Christian things. We went to church, we read our Bibles, we prayed every now and then. We believed in you. Even the demons believe. At least they shudder. That's what the Bible says. Even the demons, at least they shudder. Jesus' response would be, away from me, I never knew you. There's this incredible picture of this incredible father that since, and it's, it's a common Mervis saying, if you haven't heard it from Mervis, I'm glad that I get to tell it to you for the first time. He says, before God was anything in the Bible, he was a father. That actually, there is this God who desperately wants relationships with you. That's how he goes through the effort of correcting what separates us. But he won't make that choice for you. That is your decision. Will you let the seed take root? Luke 17 verse 20. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? They're waiting. The Pharisees were waiting for a Messiah. Do you know that? Do you know that even the Muslims are waiting for the return? The Pharisees are waiting. When will the kingdom of God come? When will we do all the stuff that we, 
that we think we should be doing? When will this world look like we want it to look like? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. Who is he referring to? Why has the kingdom of God come? Because the king is in the building. Because the king was there. And do you know at that time, at that moment, in that place, while Jesus walked the earth, the kingdom of God was only where he was. You could only know him and you could only grow in relationship with him if you were in close proximity to him. And so it was this incredible three years that he spent investing in his disciples and knowing them and teaching them his ways. And, but then he had to leave. Why did he have to leave? Because like that parable, the kingdom of God starts like this tiny little mustard seed, like the king coming in and starting with 12. And then actually he goes and he leaves us with his spirit. And his spirit, the one who sanctifies us, the one that brings fruit in our life, the one who, who removes the stuff that separates us from God, he shows us how to live. And so people assume that they go to church and they see the gifts of the Spirit, or they see prophecy, or tongues, or, or manifestations of the Spirit, and people go, oh, that's weird, that's the Holy Spirit, and I'm saying, no, 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 that is the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's purpose is to bring you into a relationship with Jesus, to point you to the Father, to enable you to live, to help you overcome. Christianity is not a do-more. If you feel, and, and this is a rhetorical, please don't put your hand up. If you feel like Christianity is asking you to do more, I want to tell you, I don't think we're following the same Jesus. I don't think he comes and says, do more then. That's a different gospel. Actually, Galatians would say, if you believe that you have to do stuff to serve the Lord, you're bewitched. There's no do more. You do more. As you get close to him, you find yourself doing more. It's the fruit. It's the signs of a believer, somebody who does more. But you can't rig the system. You can't do more and think that means I'm in. You can't, you can't wear a Bok jersey and act like you won the World Cup last night. Let's be honest. Who have you got the Web Ellis at home or a medal? Uh, but, but I wore the jersey and I shouted the shout and I did the things and I... doesn't make you a springbok. You didn't play last night. They did. Who's the world champions? Those 23 guys. That squad. We supported them. <laughs> Same with following Jesus. You can't put on the jersey of Christian and go to the five or two hours a week and jump through the hoops and think, man, I won the World Cup. I'm, I'm, I'm my way. No, it doesn't work like that. You want to win the World Cup? You've got to be a part of the team. I read a thing. It said that those guys with their families were on tour there for 18 weeks. There is an element of you're not living relationship with Jesus and getting to know him and him getting to know you. You're not playing the right game. You're not, and I mean that as rugby analogy. Being Christian is not playing a game. Makes sense. That's why Jesus would say things like this. Matthew 10, verse 7 to 8. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. The king has come close. 
heal the, heal the sick, raise the dead, cling, cleanse those who have leprosies, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. The kingdom of God does come with power. I'm not saying it doesn't. It comes with power. Where the preaching of the gospel is, where the kingdom of God comes, there is miraculous, there is signs. If you're not seeing this, I just want to get you to ask the question. If I'm not seeing these things in my life, who am I following? Where am I going? This is an encouraging preach, by the way, in case you wanted to file it somewhere. This is not a rebuking one. This is an encouraging one. Matthew 3, verse 1 to 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent. Why? Why should you repent? For the kingdom of heaven is near. The king is coming to accomplish his purpose. What is his purpose? To live with his people. What has the king wanted since Genesis and he will accomplish at the end of Revelation? To dwell with his people. I can't... I can't reemphasize this enough. And the, uh, part of this is because the last two weeks we've had these, um, these messages that have been cutting. We spoke about living in the light as God is in the light and, and, and finding the courage to bring sin into the light. Because when you bring sin into the light, you'll find fellowship in the light. And as you find fellowship in the light, then actually you will see that there is joy and there's family and there's belonging. And, and then Nick's preached last week about the, the sin, the, the, the calamity, the, the disease of being short-sighted. What's the word again? Myopia. Love that. I told Nick I'm re-preaching that everywhere. Anyway, I'm going to preach that preach now. It was, that was so good for me. This disease of being so short-sighted that you can't see past these 80 years. If you can't make decisions based on the future, there is a chance that you have spiritual short-sightedness. And it is a disease of which Jesus has the cure. To give you an eternal perspective. So worried about these 80 years. What about eternity when we get to be with Him? Or on the flip side, not to be with Him. To be apart from Him. There's this scripture that I, I wanted to use just to, that I won't go there, but Matthew 15, uh, Romans 15, 16 is the one where it says, um, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God, being made holy by the Holy Spirit. Sanctification, being sanctified by the Spirit. That the process, and, and I'm coming into land, the process of doing more things for God. No, 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 no. That's the fruit. The fruit of being with Him is that you want to follow Him and you want to do as He does and you want to live a life that imitates what He did. You just want to love others. You just want to... There's so many scriptures and there's so many times. And do you know what? It's, it's hilarious. I can see why the Bible mentions it so often. Because how often do we fall into that rut as Christians? We fall into the do more box. If I had to ask you, how's your relationship with Jesus at the moment? Most people will answer it like this. Most. Except you, because you're special. Most would say, ah, oh, I'm kind of struggling with my quiet time this week. Not really reading my Bible. I need to pray more. Or my, 
my relationship with Jesus is going really well. I'm, I'm doing a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm having amazing quiet times. Um, does your relationship with Jesus hinge on those things? No, I think those are symptoms. You find yourself spending time with Him when you want to know Him, when you want to seek Him, when you want to see Him. And, and listen, you're a, you're a physical vessel. There are physical times when you're like, oh, I don't feel like reading my Bible right now. The same as I don't feel like eating broccoli. That doesn't mean the desire to be healthy is not there. It means sometimes I physically struggle with the desire to read my Bible. And in that moment, you, have to, you can make a decision. Like, well, actually what I really want is to know Him. And this is the only way that I get to know Him. And so even though I physically don't want, Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. There is that physical element. You come to worship and you're like, oh, we're going to sing that song. I don't really like that song. I'm going to withhold some worship to the King of Kings who died on the cross for me because that's not my favorite song. (laughs) Because Michael chose the wrong key today. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm making light of a serious matter that... That actually, there is, there is those, every single one of us. I don't want to do this. We all go through that. The warning is this. Don't give in to that. If you sow into that, that's the seed that you're sowing. I don't feel like it. I don't want to. I don't have desire. Live according to that. You will find yourself not knowing God, cut off and separated from Him. So the Bible would describe something like abide or remain in me. Those who don't will be cut off. Again, encouraging preach. I want to land this message here. And then there's um, something cool that I want to just, for us as a family do. But I really felt like this morning the Lord wanted to come and bring this emphasis that he has not called you to do more. And I I hope that this morning, for those who've felt like they've been unable to keep up with the standard of doing more, I hope there's freedom for you this morning. I hope you can see that He didn't call you to do more. He, He called you to know you, that He loves you, that He wants relationship with you, that He pursues you, that He makes the way for you, that there is so much that God does and there is so little that is left for us to do. What will your response be to him in this moment? It's as simple as this. If you are battling sin this morning, yield to the Holy Spirit. Allow him to sanctify you. That means when he convicts you, repent. When he brings it into your heart, bring it into the light. Move on. You don't know, guys are like, oh, I'm battling this thing for like the last three months and now, you know, um, I'm battling addiction, I'm swearing or drinking, and I can't stop, and I'm, it's this battle that I'm in. I'm like, don't fight that battle, you're going to lose. Repent, confess, believe, ask Him to help you, bring it into the light and live differently. Don't fight that battle. Don't get caught up in that thing. And when you fall, you do the same thing. Repent, confess, believe. Bring it into the light and don't live that way. Addictive patterns and behaviors, and it's the same thing. It's, I, now I'm really going to land. 
God's not giving you this hard test called life to see if you'll pass, and it's a 99% pass rate. He's not waiting there watching, oh, but you didn't tick that box, you can't come in. Oh, you didn't do this thing for me, you won't come in. You didn't, no, he wants to know you. It's like you come and sit down in an examination room and you think, I've got to write this hectic test and he actually just wants a relationship with you. Forget the paper, put the pen and paper aside. How are you? Who are you? What do you like? What do you not like? What do you love? What do you, that's the God that we serve loves you and is involved, loves the spring box. Can I pray for us? You can stay seated. I want to. Holy Spirit, I want to ask right now, would you come and where anybody is caught in the rut of do more Christianity, would you come and set them free this morning? I pray that any one person who's sitting here battling a desire to, to say, I just don't have the motive, I just don't have the drive. I just don't. Would you just open their eyes again that they could see who you are? Would you show us your love for us? Would you show us the lengths that you've gone for us? And then we can only respond in love towards you. We can only respond in wanting to do what you do and be like you are. Holy Spirit, I pray with those who are stuck in battles that they're losing, would you bring your Holy Spirit again and convict? Convict! And enable them. Enable them to break free. Enable them to live free. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have paid the price for every single one of us. Man, there are visitors here and I don't know everybody. And so I, I never want to miss an opportunity. While everyone's heads are bowed, if you, if you are not living in a relationship with Jesus, if you don't feel like you know Him and He knows you, if that's you this morning, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to introduce you to Him. I'd love to, to ask Him to show Himself to you. If you would love to know Him, if you want to serve Him with your life, if there's anyone like that, maybe you could just raise your hand so I could see you quick. I'd love to. I, I never want to have an opportunity where we preach the gospel and we don't give this opportunity. Is there anybody like that this morning? That's cool. Please don't miss the moment. It's this incredibly loving God who wants relationship with you. That's awesome. I'm glad that there's no one. I assume that that means not that anyone's resisting him, but actually that we've responded to him. And so then as believers, I'd encourage you, don't do more. Yield. Allow His Holy Spirit to sanctify you. Lord, I pray for those who are lacking that infilling of the Spirit. Would you come and fall on us? Would you fill us again, Lord Jesus? For those who are battling in their weakness, fill them up, Lord Jesus. That we will be, the, we'll be like, like Paul said, we won't be drunk with wine, but given to the Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Where wine controls our behavior, but your spirit would control our behavior. Thank you, Jesus. Your wonderful name. Amen.